Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights and this is as bad a fire as we... On this episode is two-time Top Fuel World Champion Brittany Forrest along with Tony Pedragon and Kevin McKenna. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson. Wilkerson goes 391-2. We're going to talk about a wild weekend in Pomona and the implications going into 2023. Perfect reaction time for Dallas Glenn. Triple zeros across the top of the time slip. And at the finish line stripe, it's Dallas Glenn. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Bruce Pedragon, 395.8, 324 miles an hour. A margin of victory of 26 ten thousandths of a second. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Loans, and we have a, a fun show today with not only a world champion, but also my two guys that we have done uh, so much work with this year, kind of setting up races and, and talking about everything, and we're going to kind of recap Pomona. I uh, wouldn't necessarily call this a season recap show as much as a race recap, and down the road here, you know, in December sometime, we'll do kind of a season look back, but... Um, it's going to be great. Brittany Force uh, made herself available to the media uh, this week following the event, and uh, I know our schedule is a little bit skewed. Normally, we make this show earlier in the week, but uh, having the ability to talk to Brittany here end of the week uh, following the race was great, and I think you're really going to enjoy that conversation as well as the insight that McKenna and Pedragon will bring into this whole program here as we are officially closed with the 2022 NHRA Camping World Drag Racing Series season, and... Um, if you did not watch the Pomona race, I'm not sure what's wrong with you, but it was a Sunday uh, that I'm not sure any of us will ever forget, especially uh, Ron Caps. He will never forget it as his come-from-behind championship win was astonishing. Uh, Brittany Forrest locking up a top-field championship in the first round on the back of upsets, um, the likes of which none of us had predicted, literally none of us. And uh, Matt Smith doing his job. Of course, Eric Anders coming in for a victory lap. Cruz Pedragon having ultimately what was the single best, um, single best performance weekend of his entire career. We saw career best after career best of that car just running in the low 380s. So there was two really parallel tracks to this race. You had the championship stories to tell. You also had the race winner stories to tell. And we will kind of talk about all that stuff. You know, Greg Anderson picking up a win to close the season. Huge. We talked about Cruz's victory. Absolutely awesome. Um, it just go right on down the line. Angie Smith getting it done. I mean, it just uh, it just didn't quit. It did not quit all the way through, and that includes, uh, of course, Austin Proc, who had a countdown that um, would have been good enough for a championship out of nearly any other starting position than the one he began this thing with, which was like in the 12th spot. So, um, so much to go over, so much to talk about. And really so much to look forward to uh, for the upcoming 2023 season, which we know will begin, of course, in Gainesville, Florida. So uh, it is going to be a different start to our 2023, and that's going to allow some interesting stuff to happen over the wintertime. Been hearing some good rumors about some fun races that will be happening um, now that there's kind of more of a window in February. I think some people might go branching out and testing, and uh, some racetracks may begin to take some advantage of that. So... Uh, all kinds of great stuff to talk about. I guess rather than mess around with uh, yapping still, we'll go right into this interview with Brittany Force. And I do feel as though you're going to enjoy this. I, you know, we've talked to Brittany a lot. Everybody has because of her nature and, and the fact of her profile and how she has been running for seasons now in Top Fuel. So this is an interview that was conducted on Thursday 
uh, after she had won the championship on Sunday. We had our awards on Monday, and uh, we're going to have you listen to this Brittany interview first, and then we're going to talk to Kevin McKenna and Tony Pedragon. So without further ado, let's go. So our first guest in this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast this week is none other than the two-time NHRA Top Fuel World Champion and driver of the Monster Energy Flavor Pack Top Fueler, Brittany Forrest. How you doing, Brittany? Great. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for taking some time out. I know you've been uh, running around doing all kinds of appearances and stuff, and uh, at some point you will get your life back to be your own, I, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind it. If it's because of the championship, I'm good with the whirlwind, the running around, doing everything. So um, this was an incredible day, uh, an incredible culmination to a season. And, you know, to give you a little backstory on our side of the fence on the TV stuff is we had our production meeting and, you know, somebody raised their hand and said, is there any way this gets settled in the first round? And all of us said, not a chance in hell. Mm -hmm. And then look what happened. I mean, this was all unfolding in front of you. It was amazing. It was. It, I did not see it going that way. And coming into Sunday, you know, I, I looked at the ladder, but I didn't study it because I thought there's no point to freaking pin, <laughs> right. try to navigate how this this is all going to just lay out. Like there, there's too many different options of ways it could go. I'm like, there's no point just to sit here and study this thing and try to figure out yeah. how many different ways it could go down because it's just impossible. And then coming, I honestly thought it was going to be a battle all day. I thought it was going to be all day until the end and if it were going to happen it was going to happen in a semi-final round or a final round yep. and then the fact that it happened first round I, I they had me stand up there at the top end and watch and i'm like this is pointless why am i standing here i want to get back with my team i need to start packing my shoots we have stuff to do and and then just the way it all unraveled uh was absolutely crazy we didn't see it going that way no and you know i got to talk to to grubby and uh before the ceremonies began monday night and we kind of ran through the same thing and and he was talking about how you know his adrenaline was just going and going and going and they're Mm kind of the guys are telling him like hey uh like that's it like we got it and he's like what do you mean we got it like it was just disbelief right yes absolutely for all of us they were i was on the top end they were back servicing they were you know working on the car between rounds and grubnik was up in his lounge uh trying to you know look at the run uh study the run and figure out what we're doing next round and who we're going to run next round and then i think he got a text on his phone that said congrats congrats champ he thought (laughs) what what the hell's going on? So it, again, it was just that it, it took all of us by surprise. We did not. That was uh, one scenario we did not think was going to happen. And obviously, over the course of the race day, you guys keep your heads down and you go to work. And and it is as much as you are elated and excited, you are still there to try to win the race as well. But you know, was there a quiet moment on Sunday night when you were able to to just sit with Grubby or even just with the crew and and take five minutes to yourselves? Or is this has this been full on kind of assault since the moment you guys locked it up? Uh, I feel like it really hasn't stopped, but our team is really good about meeting after every single race. Uh, Sunday night, we have a meeting, whether it's, you know, depends on if we're, we're out first round, we win the thing, it's 10 p.m., it, it doesn't matter. We all make sure we sit down and take that time to have a meeting. So we did. We all, you know, were in the trailer and and just talked about our season, talked about how the day went and how we our ultimate goal, our goal coming in the season was a championship and we got it done together and you know this goes so deep with with your whole team because obviously this is a group of people that stuck together despite the fact that they went effectively a whole season without racing i mean Mm -hmm. it is an astonishing thing to think about especially now with with what we saw coming into the 2022 season with how much Mm -hmm. turmoil and turnover there was everywhere else except really for you guys 
Yeah, I mean, it, it speaks very loudly of their character and their loyalty to John Force Racing. In 2020, when John Force Racing made the decision to step back, um, you know, those guys could all left and gone different directions, not knowing, like, where's our yeah. position here? Where's Where is this going to end up? And it's hard to put faith in that. And they all stood by us, and we all returned together in 2021, um, had a great season, and, you know, ended up in that number two spot. And, you know, to come out this season with the same group of guys, David Grubnick, Max Savage, all of them, and uh, to be able to win a championship with them is pretty incredible. What was, if anything, you can put a finger on? And maybe there's nothing you could put a finger on, but we look at, and really the car has been relentless for a couple seasons now, performance-wise. Mm-hmm. And then this year it was just the results really started to come your way. And, and I don't just mean mm-hmm. the number one qualifiers. I mean, obviously, the race wins as well. So is there, mm-hmm. is there a single thing, and, and maybe you've not even had time to process it at this point, but is there one main thing you can point at and say, this is something I or we did differently this year or better that, that turned in our favor? Um, I would think our performance on race day. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, collected all those number one qualifiers, but would seem to struggle on race day. So that was the biggest turnaround coming into, you know, this 2022 season is we were in races. We went from one win last season to five this season. And also, um, I feel like my performance in the car, uh, reaction time. I'm never going to be one of these killer leavers like Antron or Justin. But yeah, I made you, enough you, of an improvement. Yeah, you, that's, you put yourself in the conversation with those guys. Though you're you're like two yeah. hundreds on average <laughs> better this year. You, you totally did. I mean, there's no there's no Thank getting around you. it. The numbers are the numbers. So don't uh, don't sell yourself short there. Thank you. But yes, I think it is a combination of both those that you know made getting to that number one spot possible. And, yeah, no, and it, it makes total sense. I mean, it's like a it's like a performance step forward on on kind of both ends of things. Do you mm-hmm. consider, I said this on the TV show, you can agree or disagree, I thought that your drive in Las Vegas, that, that whole day, really the whole weekend, was probably the single best drive of your entire career. And maybe I was overstating it, but it certainly felt like it to me. Thank you. It was. It was a. It was just a great weekend for our whole team to win in Vegas. Uh, we won Vegas 1, 4 wide, and then we won Vegas 2. So we already felt good coming into that race. And... To be able to win the final round on a whole shot, it put me in just this, um, it gave me this confidence, all yeah. the confidence I needed going into Pomona, the last race of the season. Because if you remember back in 2017, we were in the, you know, we're chasing the number one spot. Yep. We left Vegas, final round, I red lit. I had to carry that red light over into Pomona. We're still somehow I got my mind back in the game and was able to recover and we won the championship. So this season it was a little bit differently, but I still think it's pretty ironic that it came down to, you know, we made it to that final then and now and, and the difference that it was uh, winning on a whole shot. And that just put us seven points ahead, which was very helpful coming into Pomona, collecting points and qualifying, number one qualifier. And then, you know, first round is when it happened. I have to imagine, and listen, I bracket raced for a few years with my dad. and was just so horrible at it that uh, it was it's an embarrassment to even bring it up. But I have to imagine, <laughs> because I never did it, um, is, is there any better feeling than beating somebody in a whole shot in a top fuel car? I mean, let's be honest oh, here. It has to be incredible, right? It is. It's one of the best feelings out there. It's, um, and it's returning the favor to, you know, my team for all the times, you know, they made up for yeah. my mistakes on the starting line. But, yes, there's no better feeling. There's no better confidence booster than beating somebody on a whole shot. And I'm sure this is a question you've been asked a 100 times already, but when 
can we even compare the driver that won the championship in 2017 with the driver I'm talking to right now? Is it, I know you're the same person, but in so many ways, it's been a, it's been a journey between those two points. I mean, we got a pandemic in the middle. We got all kinds of life stuff happens in the middle. How different is 2022 Brittany versus 2017? Um, I mean, it's still me. I'm still the same person. I probably, I know I've grown a lot, um, you know, over the years and just, I have more seat time experience in the car. So, um, I feel like I've, you know, progressed and moved in the right direction, but still me at the end of the day. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's great. And that's a, that's a good answer. And, you know, I'll tread lightly here because I respect everybody's life and their personal life. But, but one of the things I think is we've seen with other people over the course of their careers is that when they find, when they find comfort or they find, um, the right person outside of the racetrack. It does make mm-hmm. life different and maybe make life better, more tolerable, more everything. Are you in a position now in your life that is different in that regard? Do you have somebody? And it certainly seems as though you did when we, when you were giving your speech at the banquet, um, somebody that can carry some of that weight with you that maybe you didn't have before. Yeah, it is. Um, actually, a lot of people have pointed that out uh, this season that I just I seem happier. And um, yeah, I think are we were, are you referring to my boyfriend? I don't. Is that yeah, yeah, yeah I am. This? I just I just okay. don't want to like. I don't want to. I don't overstep my bounds here. You know what I'm saying? Like I know, I know. I know people like to maintain their their private lives, so I don't want to go. I don't want to go too far off into the weeds. But yeah, absolutely. Your your personal relationship. Uh yes. So we've been together for a couple of years, and um, I, I said it in my speech. You know, he's 20 years Air Force. He's done 18 de- deployments. He's seen a lot of shit, and he's still smiles every single day so he teaches me you know you always got to find the positive which I have always always said that since day one you always got to turn the negatives into positive because there's a reason everything happens but he's just a good reminder of that his perspective on it um is really good and and yeah he makes me happy we have fun and and uh you know he was there you know all Vegas all Pomona and he saw you know just the weight I carried when this count I mean all season long but really when this countdown picked up and we went into this countdown and it is it is stressful and the driver feels like they carry so much weight but really it's it's distributed through the whole team but the driver feels a lot more of it i feel when you're up there on the starting line first round yeah and uh you know he was just he's you know was able to lighten that load a little bit help me you know find the the positive and everything and, and laugh at the end of the day yeah and listen i think there's also that value of somebody that can bring you some perspective from the real world right a little bit like we get we're in this racing bubble and, and racing is the thing and <laughs> racing is everything and all of a sudden someone goes yeah hey um you know what why don't you take a deep breath and realize that there's other stuff going on i, I think yeah, that's hugely exactly. important yeah that is a good way to look at it 100 percent so I guess the natural question becomes, um, you know, is, is everybody sticking together for 2023? How are things looking in that regard? Um, I think so. I mean, yeah. obviously this, this team, this group of guys, it's very unique, very special group of guys and very proud of, of every single one of them. And we won a championship together. So I'm assuming we're all going to move forward. Uh, you know, David Grubnick's been awesome. Max Savage, every single one of them. Um, and we actually have a new guy that came on just like six months ago. So the whole team <laughs> joke is that, you know, you come into drag racing. He's never been in, you know, he's watched drag racing. It's always been a dream of his to come into drag racing and he comes in. And six months later, he wins his first championship, and everyone's like, "It's not that easy." <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! Yeah, that guy's riding on the grease rails right now. That's pretty. That's pretty <laughs> yeah. great. And you know, we talk so much about about David Grubnick's, uh, you know, mechanical ability and, and leadership ability, and 
you know, this relationship that you've cultivated with him is, is, and I imagine has to be probably the most important one you've ever had with a, with a crew Mm -hmm. chief as you've been in this sport. But how does this, how does this kind of make you feel for him? I know how it makes me feel for him, which is really proud Mm -hmm. and happy in that. I mean, there's nobody that deserves it more than this guy. Absolutely. Um, you know, Grubnik, you know, drove years ago. So to be able to have that connection relationship with him talking about, you know, driving, I'll say these crazy things and he completely picks up, I know exactly what you're talking about. And, and it's just, he gets there, he's been in the seat. So he completely understands. He understands the, the, the pressure I carry, you know, having to recover from losing on a whole shot. He, he, you know, would tell me his stories that he lost on, you know, a handful of whole shots in a row. And he thought he was going to get, you know, just the, the struggle of it all. And how do you, you know, get back in the car and recover from it? So he understands, everything that comes with it and you know him coming on as a crew chief a handful of years ago i know this is huge for him it's a it's a crew chief championship yeah and it's what he's been chasing since he stepped out of the seat seat and stepped into you know that that crew chief uh position so he's been chasing it i know it was i know it was special for him i know it's big for him but all of my guys um all of them except one um, this is their first championship. Wow. So it's very special for all of us. Uh, Mac, uh, Mac Savage, he's been chasing this for like 22 years, he said. And, uh, you know, we have the one guy that I told you six months has been yeah, out right. here. But everyone else has been out here for a handful of years. Narciso Bravo is the only one who won with Schumacher uh, years ago. And he said this was, it's his second along with me, but it's a very special one just because of this group. This group is like no other team I've worked with. And I know I keep saying that, but I can't say it enough because it is, it's, it, it's so true. I've never worked with a group like this before. Yeah. And it's, uh, I guess it's, it's a tough thing for us to equate like during our broadcast. Cause we just don't have the time, but like, just like any other professional sports team, like each each person you work with brings a different element. Whether it's a obviously mm-hmm. they all they all bring a high level of mechanical ability and, and skill, mm-hmm. but they also bring this personality element. And and you mentioned yeah. Narciso, and this guy's fantastic. I mean, this guy is. Mm-hmm. I, I see him out out the road sometimes. He's eating dinner. I'll sit down next to him and just chat because he is one of the most fascinating people I've ever met. He's got a life story mm-hmm. that people would not believe oh, yeah. where he came <laughs> from and what he's doing now. And I know the relationship you guys have because he's one of the first guys that usually grabs you and wings you around in the air when you guys uh-huh. when you guys get a number one. So it's it is yeah. it's an amazing element. He is. He's a uh, he's a very important person at this team, not just to the team, but uh, me as well. I've known him for a, a long time. He's worked on Courtney's car, and and now he's you know teamed up with me. And and I, I said it in my speech. You know those those weekends where it was you know the fault all laid on me as a driver. He, I know he felt it there with me. We'd be, you know, towing back after, you know, losing the round on the back of the, uh, the, the suburban and he'd have his arm around me like, it's okay, we're going to get through this. And I could tell just by the look on his face, he felt what I was feeling yeah. and he'd help me pull out of it and recover. And, uh, that makes all the difference sometimes. Like you need to know that your team around you supports you and, um, you know, has the fit, they have the faith in you as a driver that they're not worried going into the next one. Uh, because of the driver, but they're all, all of them after, you know, every, you know, mess up we would have on race day, they'd tell me, don't, we're, we're not even worried about it. We don't want to win this one anyways. We'll get it next weekend. You watch, <laughs> we'll get it next weekend. So to have that yeah. kind of support system around me, I mean, to me, I need, it means everything. And one last question I want to ask you before I let you go is, mm-hmm. You are, and it seems to me like, and this is not an easy thing to be, you're very genuine with your social media. 
And mm-hmm. I think that's it's a great characteristic because it, it's not really a universal characteristic. And and there was a post you made a few weeks ago where you basically took the whole weekend and put it on your own shoulders and said, this is why we didn't get it done. And yeah. my question on that was when you were sitting there to write that down, what was it? Was it to be cathartic for you? Was it to just get this off my chest? I need to say this to somebody or was it to was it to show your teammates that, that you and I guess they already understand it, but. My question is, a lot of people don't have the courage to do that, and you did, so why? Um, for me, it's, I have no, I mean, it's obviously, it's it's not easy taking the blame, but I will always step up to the plate and say, fault is on me. And, you know, my team, we like I said, we have those meetings, and I will stand up after a weekend. I apologize to all of them. I'm sorry I screwed up. You know, I, I feel like I let you guys down, and they're right there to pick me up. And I'll even go in, like, Okay, they probably want an answer. Well, like, what happened? Why were you so late on the light that you lost that round? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'll, sometimes you just don't have an answer. You don't right. know why it happened. But sometimes there's a specific pinpoint, this is what happened. My mind went this direction, and, and it's, you know, somebody, whatever it was. So I always have an answer for them, and, I, and I, I owe that to them. And, you know, they step up to the line when they make mistakes. And we have a meeting, and they will step up and, and you know, admit their faults. So... I always post on social media, you know, after every single weekend and to put that one out. Yeah, it was tough, but I mean, it's very obvious if you watch the show, you know, I lost on that whole shot. Yeah. So I'm going to put it in there and be honest about it. I take the blame. I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say, Oh, well, we had a bad week. Like <laughs> right. I'm going to put it out there. It's, you know, yeah. if you watched it, you saw it, that's what happened. And, uh, I will get better. I think I said, I'll, I'll recover from it. I'll find a way out of it. And we did. And listen, Ed, the bottom line is all great teams that win anything have accountability to each other. So that's exactly what you just described. You're accountable to them. They're accountable to, to you. And it's the way it goes around. So, yeah. Well, Brittany, 100%. thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking thank some time. You. And, and I, I always enjoy speaking with you. And it's great to get um, really some personal kind of uh, insight into into this last whirlwind of a couple of weeks. But congratulations. This is a thank you. To me, it's a huge moment. Um, every championship's a huge moment. But this particular championship the season you had and, and the way you did it was uh, was spectacular so enjoy it awesome thank you so much Brian all right so after we've had our conversation with Brittany Force, now I got our two guys on here Tony Pedregon and Kevin McKenna we're going to talk Pomona fellas how are you guys doing good good morning the dust is settling yeah the, yeah it, it's is it time to go back to Pomona yet? <laughs> I, you know, I kind of hope. On one hand, I, I wish we were loading up and going out again this week. But on the other hand, I think we got a couple of months of uh, of big stuff getting ready to happen here. So I think for today, I just want to talk about the the weekend we had at Pomona because I think this is uh, uh, worth talking about, and then we'll kind of double back on the season in a couple of weeks. But um, I guess Kevin, to start with, did, did this one meet or exceed your expectations? I know where my head's at. Uh, exceeded them. It, by a factor of 10. Um, that honestly was one of the best races I think I've ever been to. There was so much stuff happening, and every time you thought you'd seen it all, uh, something else crazy or unexpected happened. And I just, if you weren't entertained by that, I, I don't know what to tell you. Tony, what about you? Well, I would agree. I think that, um, you know, a lot of the things that we talked about early in the season and the amount of competition, the level of competition in top fuel, it's, it, all of that, it, it just held up. And going into the last race, you know, it wasn't seven or eight, nor should there have been. Uh, it was legitimately five cars, and it was every every bit of, you know, and, and the twist and funny car, you know, it was, it was the three that we thought it would be, but what Cruz didn't qualify, what he did on Sunday, 
you know, it just, uh, all of it was like the expected and the unexpected and the performance was there, was everything that we thought it would be. And, you know, just, just good weather to top things off and, and just everything was as good as I think it could have been. Well, let's start with pro stock because the Greg Anderson win um, got overshadowed by all the other stuff that happened to a degree. But obviously, the 101st is a big one. But the fact he got it for Ken Black and, and the last race that Ken was really going to be at as a team owner, and we'll probably see him pop into the racetrack here or there when when uh, health and time allow. But but Kevin, this was uh, this was a signature moment in this guy's career, even though it was not the headline story. Yeah, and and, and his emotion following the final round. Uh, uh, sort of uh, dictated that that uh, you know he, he Greg basically said the hundredth win earlier this year at Indy and that win were the two most important to him of his entire career, uh, which says a lot given all the big moments that he's been a part of. Um, but then you know you look at Ken Black as far as successful team owners, you're talking about in excess of 180 wins. Um, I mean the guy really built an empire there, and uh, uh, you know it, it's. I'm sure that team will go on. They're going to continue to be very strong. Looks like they have a pretty good succession plan in place, but uh, it's also hard to replace a guy like that. Is there anybody else as a team owner in drag racing that has wins in both top fuel and pro stock outside of Don Schumacher than Ken Black? Ooh. I I was thinking about this. I'm not sure if there is, to be honest. I I don't know if, you know, if you could count, uh, I don't know, Jed Coughlin way back? Did the Coughlin, uh, did the Jake's top fuel car ever win? That's a good question. Either way, it is a very small list. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, Tony, we saw and, and heard uh, Ken Black kind of address the crowd on, on Saturday. And to Kevin's point, I mean, this guy, maybe in a more quiet fashion than a lot of other people as far as owners went, had just a monstrous impact in, in modern drag racing. Yeah, you know, and if you think about pro stock and, and just take a look around and for the most part, you know, everybody's got money, you know, and and uh you know, once you have the money, what what are the other, you know, the tangibles, the intangibles, what what how do you build a formula that that equals winning on the racetrack? And and it takes a lot. And you know, I on accident uh sat in and had lunch with Ken Black and his wife. And, you know, over the years I've got to, you know, to meet, to know, Hey, how you doing? Talk with the owners, the drivers, uh, some of the tuners a little bit, but you know, it's until you really sit down with them, you know, you, you, I just never really made that personal connection with Ken Black. And, and I realized within the first few minutes that, you know, this guy's really, I mean, he had a very successful business and, and that allowed him to, uh, you know, to kind of chase, you know, and pursue what he really enjoyed doing. But I think for Ken Black, he really connected. He loved racing, just like, you know, a lot of us do. But he really developed a relationship with Greg Anderson and supported Greg and, you know, at the time, Jason Lyon and now Dallas and Kyle. And, you know, they, they managed to turn it into a business. But, you know, it's, it's the friendship and the relationship and the belief that he had in an individual like Greg Anderson that just figured out and knew how to win when everybody else with maybe the same amount of money is trying to do the same thing. Yeah, it's a great point. And, you know, right up to the end, I, I ran into Kenny Koretsky on, on Monday uh, morning, I guess we were all 
kind of getting ready for the uh, banquet and all the other stuff that was going to go on that day. And and I talked to him really briefly in the hallway, but he said, you know, it was a like a crappy solenoid that failed that ended up causing Kyle not be able to stage the car. And I guess the first guy that kind of rolled up to him was Ken Black and said, I'm going to give you your money back for this weekend. You shouldn't have to pay us for this result. And if there's anything that says a lot about the guy kind of up to the last second, Tony, it's that, right? He had concern that he wanted uh, everybody to feel like they had a fair shot under his umbrella right up until the last minute. Yeah, and that's not the first time that I've I've heard Ken do that, or at least attempt it. You know, Kenny's Kenny's the type of person. It, it would be funny is is watching Ken try to give it back to him, and Kenny not accepting it. It's, <laughs> you know, it's just the the way that the, the the two of them are. But you know, when you look at Ken, you know he's he's uh, limited to a wheelchair, but just in talking to him, he's as sharp uh, he's as sharp as as I think he was twenty years ago. And, um, you know, I think at some point every, everyone gets to the point where they just, you know, say, look, uh, you know, we've got grandchildren, maybe even great grandchildren, and it's time to, to enjoy, you know, other things because this, you know, this arena, this, you know, this world that these drag racers live in, you know, it's very competitive and it's not just the competition on the track, you know, there's the politics, you know, there's, there's retaining help, there's, you know, your personnel and their problems that they bring to the workplace. So, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot. And I, I can't blame him. I mean, he should enjoy, um, you know, he should enjoy his time. And, and I'm, like you said, I'm pretty sure that he's can only stay away from it for so long. I think he's, he's always going to have friends. He's always going to be able to just set up shop. And, and uh, as long as Greg's out there, I think that, that Ken has a home. And, and, Kevin, we transitioned to Pro Stock Motorcycle for a couple of minutes here, and, and there's a, obviously two parallel stories. And it, that was the story of the weekend for me, the parallel tracks of talking about championships and then talking about our race winners. And, and it goes back to this, the same thing in Pro Stock, in that, you know, Angie Smith gets a win. She won the finals in 2020 in Vegas. She wins the finals here in 22. Matt obviously gets a championship. And is there any reason we should not think Matt Smith is the, the league leader for a seventh title next year? Oh, without question. Um, I mean, honestly, he's done nothing but get better here. Yeah. The, the last four or five years, as far in, in every aspect, um, the, the engine building, the tuning. Um, you know, he's probably underrated as a rider. Um, you know, you, you generally don't think of him as a guy that, uh, you know, go, goes and, and kills the tree, what, like a Gladstone or an Ellie Tonglet, but um, he, he's rock solid, consistent. You just look at the amount of mistakes he makes. And, and, and they're minimal. Yeah, they are minimal. And, and the, the pace in which he's, of course, accumulated his now six championships really does uh, outrun anybody that's gotten to that plateau so far, which is which is scary enough, I guess, for everybody else because this guy, you look at the whole package and there's no reason, there's no overt weaknesses that, that are concerning. And especially you're going to give this guy now months to get to get even better over the wintertime. It's, um, it, <laughs> it's a scary prospect. Yeah, and, and he actually, Matt, mentioned that uh, he's got some big things in the works for next year. I know that uh, despite his success on the Buell, um, that they are very dedicated to the Suzuki program. Uh, obviously, that's a big part of their agreement with Scrappers. And I, I think he's, um, you know, I know he has a plan going forward to uh, uh, make the Suzuki's probably equal to, you know, what, what we've seen out of the Vance and Hines bikes, which on their best days is 660s. Uh, I, it wouldn't surprise me to see Matt's, you know, Suzuki get there probably early next year. 
and you know, Tony, we had the opportunity to kind of be a couple doors over from the uh, the, the PA announcing booth, and Terry Vance was up there calling the race with Alan uh, Reinhardt during the Pro Stock Motorcycle Sessions, and it was impossible not to kind of peek over there to see what his reactions in or body language was as that was going on. And uh, safe to say, it was not the happiest day in the man's career. Sorry, yeah, I need only look at the uh, the sheets and the results. And the, really the entire year, I think it's it's been pretty frustrating from a team that expects a lot. They put a lot into it. Um, and, and I you know I felt then, and I still feel that Vance and Hines and whoever is on those bikes, you know, you have to think. I mean, I, I and I'm just speculating. Is Angel going to be on that bike? As much as they like her, you look at the marketability of a female, of a past champion, you know how do you how do you fix that? I don't know if at this stage you can't. I mean that red light was that uh, Brian that left both of us stunned, and, and it, it's not just us. Yeah. I mean we're just the, we're just the saps that have to talk about it. <laughs> right. So it, you know it makes you wonder: is she yeah. going to be there? Is Andrew getting back on a bike? I mean it almost seems like he has to. I mean you know Eddie had his problems. I think there's a lot of talent there, but in terms of the powerhouse and the ability to compete with Matt Smith, it might be Gladstone, but how much depth do they have? What is the level of commitment there? You know, Jerry Savoie, he's hit or miss. You know, he, he capitalizes on on other on other writers making mistakes. Sometimes he's good, sometimes he's not. But when you talk about consistency, like Kevin said, Matt Smith is always there. He rises to the occasion. And Vincent Hine has the they have the they have the depth, they, they have the deep pockets, they have the parts, they have the R&D, they have everything that it takes, and they have multiple bikes, just like Matt Smith is, does. but um, they, they just need, they need somebody that can shoe shine, that can sharpshoot, and, you know, and hit those marks, and, and I, I, I think the story's going to be, who is that going to be, what are the changes that they're going to make, if they're going to make any, and if they're not, then... You know, what kind of magic are they going to have to fix their problem? Because their problems are on the starting line. And, and you know this as well as anybody, Tony, in this environment, in this world, um, you got to know that Terry Vance's phone has been probably blown up with, with riders that want that shot, that want that seat, that um, that are going to do whatever they can to try to sell themselves to him. Uh, you know, we got young talent in the class now, Gage Herrera, some other guys that have come in there that have um, that have done good things, if not quietly because of their level of power. But you know this. I mean, when, the, when any of these drivers or riders that maybe want a seat smell some blood in the water they're not going to take uh they're not going to take their their they're not going to miss a shot to try to grab it no and, and like any other car any other bike any other class in racing that line wraps around the building but you can narrow that down if there are 50 of them and i believe you me there are over 50 that are calling that are knocking on the door you can reduce that to five right now and and then it becomes again about the business, the talent, the marketability, what the sponsors want, what the owners' expectations are, and there's a level of skill that's that's tied in with that. So, um, you know, while many of them are interested and believe and think they can do it, there's only a handful that can do it and do it well. 
So let's talk top fuel and, and Kevin, I want to transition this into kind of an interesting topic in that we've we've touched on it a bunch uh, over the course of the season on this particular show and a lot of the fans talk about it and internally we talk about you know this idea of uh, of the gamification of drag racing the ability to to jump on a, a betting app and maybe throw a couple of bucks at at some bets um does the what happened in the first round of top fuel help that cause or does it make it even more complicated and i'm talking about of course the upsets of crystal baldwin and ron august jr uh i, I think it probably helps it uh, because the last thing you'd want to bet on is a totally predictable sport. Yeah. Um, when, when, you know, there, there, there's no, uh, I mean, there, there's no fun to it when you know who's going to win. And, and there's also not a price that, that would allow you to turn a profit. Uh, you, you, you know, you need to be able to hit those long shots and make the upsets uh, in, in order to, uh, you know, in, in order for it to work. Um, you know, obviously we, we don't even need to, to go into the whole diving thing, you know, that that's, yeah, that's, that's yeah. another discussion for another day, but, I think what a lot of people overlook, and, and I think the beauty of this sport right now, right now today, is that uh, you know you really do have the potential for these upsets, and it allows single car, low buck teams to still be out there and still be competitive. It's worth it for them to go to the races, and I, sometimes I think that gets overlooked because you look at other sports. You look at you know certainly you know F one, um, you know the lower teams have zero chance. NASCAR very slim chance maybe the restrictor for races but uh, you know you still have that element in drag racing where you know the the guys like the uh the, the wilkerson's and the greens and crystal baldwin's and um you know they can have their day and it's awesome there is some magic in the fact that if if we did the typical you know nfl you know pregame show on sunday and you get your five guys at the desk and and you me and tony were three of them and there's another two smart guys at that desk we, it would have been one of those scenarios where all five of us I, I guarantee all five of us would have picked wrong when it came to those two matchups and specifically when it came to when this championship and top fuel would have been locked up. Because the first round, we spent a week of production meetings, like Tony and I and everybody else spent a week of production meetings just pshawing at the idea that this could possibly be settled in the first round. And then, of course, look what happened. Yeah, I mean, it starts It starts with, and don't forget, the Philadelphia Eagles just got beat, right? <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought? So that is going to always be the beauty of this sport, whether it's at the U.S. Nationals, whether it's the smallest race of the year, or whether it's a race with the with the biggest spotlight, the biggest stage for us, which was the case. And you know, there's always that level of unpredictability. But you know, when you when you look at you know breakdown, you know, of course, Brittany won. How did it happen? The dagger, the dagger was in Vegas. But when, when you're Justin Ashley, you know, who finished fourth, you didn't finish second. It wasn't a close second. Um, you know, they, they, they dropped the ball. I'm not going to say Justin dropped the ball because he didn't. This is a team effort. But if we're, you know, putting the focus on what happened, how did it slip away? I, you know, Brittany's car ran as well as it did all year. And I, they, didn't, they didn't rip it out of, out of Justin's hand. They fumbled the ball. You know, they were at the goal line, and they tried running it up the middle, and the ball came out. That car smoked the tires. They didn't qualify well. In four qualifying runs in Pomona, I mean, you ran a 370, so you're only, you're only, you know, four or five, six hundredths off the pace. But, you know, those four or five, six hundredths, they're, they're pretty important. And, you know, you look at some of the teams. That, I mean, Mike Slane has qualified well. So, 
you know, that, when it's all said and done, you know, that's a tough way for Justin to go out. But, uh, you know, hey, tuning these cars are not easy. The parts and components, all of that changes. But, you know, the, the qualifying in the number 10 position and getting a tough opponent, that, that just was a very, very bad weekend for you know, for the Ashley team. And it was another great weekend for Austin Brock in this countdown, Kevin. And, and obviously over, over the parts of this season, we saw that the, the, that particular Rocky Mountain twist uh, Montana brands team almost go out of their way to thank, you know, Frank Teagues and his, and his support when they were in the depths of their struggles. I have to imagine what happened over the course of the countdown did, did absolute wonders for them to reaffirm this, this investment that Frank Teagues has been making in their team because, if they had not begun this countdown 12th, we may not be talking about Brittany as a world champion. Right. Yeah. Don't, don't forget. I mean, Frank Teague's won, won a championship with Brittany as, as a, you know, part-time sponsor of that car. But, but I think to, to Austin, I think he, he said it best that, you know, I only wish we'd have gotten a better start this year, been a little bit higher seed going into the countdown. Um, you know, th- that team performed well, you know, two, two countdown wins, or winning a final, yeah. Um, you know that is legit. A, a championship contending car, you know, goes mid three sixties when when conditions are there. Uh, you know, I, you, you do wonder a little bit how they might suffer uh, from the loss of Ron Tober next year. Um, but that that you know, I, I think you've got one of the best young drivers in the sport. That that is a team that absolutely is championship material if they can stay together and, and just continue the course you know tony you won a funny car championship and and during during the you won two of them obviously but one of them you like to tell the story about being in vegas when all of a sudden the the contenders the people that you're you know really in the fight with start start dropping like flies in front of you and for Brittany, um they didn't necessarily all drop in front of her but but two of them went out of the way very quickly and and it must be and i talked to her about this earlier in the show but you know even they were shocked to see what was happening in the first round and and i think she was stunned that it came to the quick end that it did it's, it was wild yes yeah, sorry brian can you edit that and cut, uh, i didn't hear that last part that you said sorry yeah, no it's all good i said you know you won a funny car championship or two of them and and one of the championships you won it, the whole thing started to unfold in front of you with these contending cars just kind of dropping like flies and, and Brittany kind of dealt with the same thing. It's, it's almost uncanny that, that a team that's fought all year can, can just basically have it served up to him on a pl- on a platter like it was. Yeah, Brian. So just to go back, you know, to the Austin prop thing, you know, and, and I, you have to wonder, they were racing like they really needed to do something big. Is it the same as a, as a, is a football team that's down by 21 points. So they just start throwing up bombs, right? They, they, they start scoring. And, you know, when you look at Austin Park and their team, I mean, hey, performance is performance. They found something to, to go from running 370s to a 364. I mean, you've got to, you've got to make a change. And then that change has to work. They executed, um, and it was no accident. You know, they did it in the semifinals. They did it in the final round. So they have they have hit on something that I'm pretty sure they're saying, okay, let's let's do this when we come out swinging. But you know, that's the you know I mentioned that the open of the show. You know, I, I sometimes I just miss competition that never leaves your system. Uh, and uh, you know, to answer your question, yeah, that you know, the drivers know whether they're one or two pair back or whether they're in the staging lanes. I mean, that's such a, uh, uh, a high tension moment. There's a lot of drama. 
It's a lot of pressure because they're listening. And if you can see it, you see the wind light. You know, when two cars, when you're behind them, you see what's happening. And, you know, for Brittany, I mean, she experienced that in Vegas. You know, of course, she won the race, but, you know, she was just paying attention to everything and qualifying. And, and she had to feel good when she heard and saw that, you know, Justin Ashley was running. Because Ashley was the closest. You right. Know, he could was happen. the guy. Steve, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Steve, Steve made that, that big run. But, you know, he just, he was so far out that it was going to take a lot. And the way that, that Brittany's car was running, you know, Justin was really the big threat. And she had to feel good. She had to feel good that, that Justin was going up against um, Antron. And, you know, the way it ended, it just, it takes so much pressure off. But, you know, the drivers do what they do. And, you know, some, some of them really thrive on that pressure. And some say, okay, look, we won. But then they're still good. You know, and, and Brittany, I think she was she was fine. She went into that semifinal, ran at sixty seven. She had a you know a very respectable reaction time, and I mean she she got beat by you know by her teammate that was just throwing a ninety eight yard bomb. So um, you know, it, it just. As much, as much as this second championship does does a lot for Brittany when we look at her career as a whole, what does it do for Grubnik, Tony? I mean, it, to me, it's like it was one of those things where we all knew this guy's championship level, but it, instead of having to put the asterisk on it anymore, we can say that he is now a champion crew chief. And not that his stock could get any higher, but did it get higher? Of course. Of course. I mean, it was pretty high when he was working for Clay. Yeah. You know, and we were even talking about it. I'm sure that John recognized you know, the talent, because, you know, that kind of performance in this sport, it's very rare. If you really think about it, you know, everybody runs within a certain range. There's, I don't think there's enough value that's placed on a driver that can give you two to three hundredths of a second consistently, but there sure as hell is on a crew chief, a tuner that can give you two to three hundredths consistently. So that was something that Grubnick was able to do. We knew that he didn't have the best parts. Everybody knew he didn't have the best parts, the depth, when he was tuning Clay's car. Things have changed there, but, you know, he forces just, I've always said this, he's one of those guys that recognizes talent and, and, and puts it in the right, in the right place. You know, we're going to talk about some changes, some things. There's some guys firing some money, you know, and, and everybody calls it poaching. It's not, it's really not poaching. You know, these guys, these tuners, these car chiefs, the, the, a clutch specialist, you know, unless they're under contract, they're, you know, they're free agents and they can get hired. And if somebody offers them a little more money, then that's business. So, so let's, you know, let's be civil about it and not call it poaching. But I, you know, I don't know that some of these changes that we're going to talk about in the near future, I, I don't know that it's going to work magic, but, but you know, when force hired Grumnick, it was instant magic. That right there was a good change, a change for the good. I, I don't really see any change in everything that we've talking about. If, if there's a ninth place driver that, that is going to get bought out, um, he's going to still be a ninth place driver. That car will finish <laughs> right. in eighth or ninth. So we'll get, we'll get to that bridge at some point, but you know, it, it was for Grubnik. It was just a matter of making it official. And I think that he had the potential to win two or three championships at this stage. And, and Kevin, kind of uh, along that line, I mean, this car has been one of the, if not the single greatest performing top fuel car in, in modern drag racing now for the last two seasons. So to actually be able to hoist a trophy, um, 
it is it is for both driver and and crew chief a testament to, to what they've been able to do with perseverance wise and, and they've stuck together with each other through the thick and the thin. Well, yeah, I mean, to, yeah, to Tony's point, I, I think Grubnick was probably the safest hire that, that John could make of, of anyone who was available. You know, you, you I mean, his talent was undeniable and you pretty much knew that if you just gave him a proper budget and the right parts, he was going to do something special with it. Um, and, and obviously that's, that's proven to be the case that Brittany now has uh, the top 10 fastest runs in, in the history of the sport. And uh, I mean, there, there's you know, no doubt you, you would think she's the early favorite to win it again next year. You know, who knows what uh, you give him three months of off season, what they might come up with uh, going to Gainesville next year. Um, so, so yeah. And then, uh, you know, the other thing also to Tony's point about, the ninth place guy well if, if you look at what the Coletta team did you know could any of us have imagined that you'd go a full season no. with Alan Johnson as a tuner and not win with either car that, that, that to me is staggering um, and, and I can't really give you an explanation as to why but I also don't think that that will happen again next year somehow some way they will get that deal figured out yeah, they will. And imagine, you know, imagine the, the, the craziness that was top fuel this year. Imagine the craziness that that ratchets up another notch if we now take Doug Coletta and place him into a car, into a situation where he's threatening for wins multiple times on a season. Even that in and of itself, Kevin, could have changed the whole course of this thing. Yeah, and, and there was there was a couple times during the year where you saw that car, signs of life, and you thought, okay, here they come. Um, and then for whatever reason, it just didn't happen. The consistency wasn't there. You know, you did see the car run mid 360s at times, um, just not when it counted the most. And, uh, you know, obviously the same goes for Sean Langdon's car. You know, he went to the final in Bristol. But other than that, uh, there just wasn't a whole lot uh, for that team to get excited about this year. And, and, and I just, you know, th- th- that is such a, a uh, at least on the outside, such a well-run team where, you know, they have all the money they need. They have presumably all the talent they need. It's just a head scratcher that they weren't able to get it done. And, you know, earlier we talked a little bit about parity. You know, you had, I think, seven different winners um, or nine different winners in top field this year. Yeah. And for those cars not to be one of them uh, just defies explanation. Tony, one last point on here before we move to Funny Car. If you're the uh, if you're the czar, if you're Connie and you're sitting in your office this weekend or this week or over the next couple weeks, is this a situation of staying the course because you know what you have in your hand, or do you think that the Coletta team will bring on talent, shift talent? Do you think we'll see anything happen internal there, or do you think they're going to stay with what they got because on paper anyway, it's as good as it gets? Well. Do I think they should? Yes. Um, you know, in particular with, with the Langman car, that car just, you know, it finished ahead of Doug. But if you, if you total up Doug's oil downs, the amount of times that that motor blew up and oiled the track, it, it had to total over a hundred points. So, you know, when you factor that in, well, the, the on-track performance of Doug was slightly better but see, this is exactly what I'm talking about when <clears throat> when I say, okay, there's a John Force that hires that scouted and recognized Grubnick's um, talent. And I'm pretty sure that Connie, Connie can buy this series. He could probably buy every <laughs> team 
out there. Yeah. But doesn't. So so you really have to wonder what you know, it's not a it's not a matter of can they afford it? Because the question is yes, they can. The the question becomes who is running the show? Is it is it you know, is it Connie? And how much does Connie rely on the team manager? But but if you look at the history, you know, Coletta now now Alan Johnson is as good as they come. Okay, but what's interesting is did it, okay, it, it's it's taken over a year. Mike Salinas, I, I'm pretty sure, has Alan Johnson parts. He's got Alan Johnson setup. So, so there was something there that it wasn't clicking, that hasn't been clicking. Now, Alan uh, just recently had another head design, a cylinder head design approved that is going to match the the intake port. Um, it, it's going to be on par with. The John four cylinder heads, not not one cylinder head, but two cylinder heads that were approved. Uh, how and why? Who knows? I don't think anybody does, but they were approved. So the cost continues to escalate. But th- these are these are different these are different conversations. So what needs to change? You would think something because it's not working. Do they need talent? Yes, they need talent. Is is someone? Can someone go in there and, and fix it? I'm pretty sure they can. How do you not fix the competitiveness of that car when everyone is running, when your competition is, is running a 366 and that DHL dragster runs a 375 all year long? Now, it, it, it spit out that 367. They could never really back it up. I think it ran a 69 every now and again. But... To me, something needs to give, something needs to happen, something's not working. There's always been a different culture there, you know, with, with the Colettas. Um, you know, they've had success. Their funny cars won a championship. Um, but to me, the the, the, the the funny cars are a little hit or miss. I, there's some talent there. They won yeah. before. There's no reason they can't win again. But to me, the focus should be, I, I think Doug's car, will, it, it'll get up and running in time. You give Alan a little bit more time, he'll figure it out. But to me, Langdon, I've always said this, you've got one of the most talented drivers there with one of the worst cars in the top 10. I say give him a better car, and uh, this guy can probably work wonders for you. Yeah, I mean, we saw... So, so what, do you, what, do you, what do you do, Tony? Do you just go take that car and test the wheels off it this winter, or both cars, actually? Uh, you know, again, you, you certainly don't give Alan Johnson his walking papers, not after one year. You know, that, that would be a horrible mistake. Um, so is the answer just to go test, test, test until you've got it right? Well, no, no. Alan, to me, isn't I, – I don't think you change anything there other than making making a few more runs. He's going to put his, his new cylinder head on there. I'm pretty sure when. I'm going to guess the sooner the better. So I, I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is with – with Connie's dragster. So, so that, I mean, really the question is, is this a car that Connie likes to tune that Connie just wants to play with? Um, because we all know that, that, you know, that Connie may not have the sponsor pressure that everyone else has, you know, so that might be a little bit of an anomaly. So we're, we're really talking about, uh, we're really talking about a different, a different animal. And, and that's really only the only question is, is, if they, if they, I can tell you this. If they were serious about racing, they would get someone in there that can make the decisions that can that can make that car go. I'm not saying that Connie can't, but but and Connie nor anyone else has. 
Yeah, I mean, it, we saw it during the hot weather months. To your point, uh, Tony, when it was when it was running the mid seventies in the in the hot weather, and Sean was kind of handed the keys, saying, "All right, get us the other couple." It worked. I mean, they made a couple of final rounds at at warmer other races, but when things cooled off, they just were never able to stand in the ring and and match those sixties performances. They did touch the sixties, as you said, with a little more frequency during the end of the year, but certainly not enough to to really make themselves a factor on any you know any given Sunday. But let's transition into Nitro Funny Car here because this was uh this was as stunning as it gets and tony i'm gonna put you on the spot here what was the bigger moment in this final chase was the bigger moment uh hagan blowing up that car and having to scrap a body and everything else and kind of putting himself on the back foot for sunday or was the bigger moment caps going number one dagger for britney was the final round in vegas the dagger and funny car was qualifying session number four and the Ron Caps run that changed everything. And when it when when a team makes a run like that, the pressure it puts added pressure. It made it made the the competition do things and maybe push themselves over the edge. One in one swell a, a, a swoop, um, whatever that saying is. That that's what that's what did it. That was that one run in qualifying that to me changed the whole dynamic dynamic of the of the uh, the funny car championship because it, they took it from three rounds to two rounds and you know two rounds is very realistic especially when you and I looked at the ladder bind we saw Tasca yeah. and height the potential of that in the second round so at that point it was it seemed like it was within their distance yeah absolutely Kevin what's your take there yeah I mean I certainly agree with you I, I think you can't understate um, the importance of Ron Cap's run there. That that probably the run of the year, um, because w- without it, he doesn't win the championship. And to go a little deeper into the numbers, you know, it, it proved that that car could run with, with with any car, you know, including Cruz, who was an absolute monster this weekend. You know, to to, to actually run quicker than that, uh, just I mean, that made a statement that that was just, you know, I I know my personal opinion changed probably that night of you know i I honestly think ron caps is going to win this thing whereas coming into the event i all but thought height had it locked up uh so yeah that that's uh that run was just crazy good yeah it really was and you know last year robert talked about how disappointed he was and you know the countdown the car really was never that much of a factor and it was just kind of there uh they didn't come into the last race contending so uh, you know, the level of pain and anguish here, I think, was still on Robert's face Monday night at the awards, Tony. I, I think it's one thing to be frustrated with an underperforming car, and I think it's wholly another to effectively see the goal line, see the finish line, have a 12 uh, final round season with eight wins and, and come up with nothing in your hands for it. Yeah, and I think in the way that it happened made it even worse. You know, they were they were really in the driver's seat. You know, when it's, when it's yours to lose, you just you know, it's like, you know, Wilkerson went through that. You know, it's like you kind of tend to want to celebrate. I think that's just the tendency. I think the guys like Robert that have been there, uh, you know, you you, you want to know a guy that that is not going to celebrate until until the final second is going to be a guy like Matt Hagen, who's had it ripped from his hands before, yeah. and they'll never make that mistake again. But Robert's, Robert's one of those guys. I mean, we heard him several races ago. He kept talking about, nope, nope, we're not there yet. Even after they were winning all those races, he yeah. kept saying, nope, these guys are too good. They're still there. We haven't won anything, you know, because we play it up. We, we, 
see the momentum and you know but it's still it, it doesn't make it any less disappointing you know and and robert like like most of these guys not all of them but most of them in the top 10 these guys that that um drive like pros that conduct themselves as pros that live and breathe it um you know that they they sleep it they think about it when they wake up they they live it when they go to bed so you know that that feeling for robert it's not going to really go away i've been in that situation it's really not going to go away till that car hits the track um at the gator nationals in march you can't help but feel you know good for ron caps kevin in that all of a sudden you know the second winningest driver in, in nitro funny car history in the nhra is now a three-time champion like all of a sudden the the accolades kind of start to line up for this guy right we went for so long saying oh he's the winningest guy without a title and this and that now we're talking about three of them which which places him in that in that really um you know pantheon of of great funny car racers yeah as you pointed out it wasn't too long ago we were saying well geez caps has had a great career but he's never won a championship. He's never won Indy. You know, now he, he's knocked off all of those things, including multiple championships. So, yeah. And, and, and I think Ron is is keenly aware of that. Oh, yes, you know, he I've is. Heard him, I, I've heard him say many times, you know, I, I will never match John Force's records. You know, uh, the, the best I can hope for is to be the second best. Um, but, you know, if, if you're having that debate, uh, yeah, I think that that's a fair assumption that um, – you know, certainly by the time he's done, if not right now, you you could argue that he's the second best funny car driver uh, of all time. And you know, now that he's done it as a team owner, you know, and, and I know the whole team ownership thing. Uh, you know, unlike Antron, I don't know that that was something he, he's coveted his whole career. Um, you know, I think it it just sort of uh, it has happened as a matter of circumstance. But uh, obviously, it didn't do anything to slow him down. He adapted quickly. He kept uh, his team together, which, you know, as Tony said earlier, that's not always the easiest thing to do when you hear the toolboxes start uh, rumbling here around Brownsburg. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he gets a ton of credit and, and high marks for being able to do all that stuff this year. And, you know, Ron has said uh, he has said that their plan is to promote from within John Medlin's retirement, obviously, is a huge deal. And uh, one can't help but think, just like Ron Tober leaving uh, Prox's team to retire, that there won't be some impact there. But at the same time, you're keeping the consistency with with Dean Antonelli. And and obviously, he thinks he has somebody within his own organization that has the experience and, and kind of acumen to move up to that uh, to that, you know, right hand man role, if you will. Well, you know, if, if you want if you're a team owner and you want any kind of sustainability, you better find some young guys and, and, and train them because you, you look at, you know, and we've all heard the rumors, you know, every team out there wants to expand or, or bring new people in. You know, it remains to be seen how many are actually going to happen, but certainly I would think a few. And, and the first question is, where is all the talent going to come to work on these cars and more importantly, to tune them? That um, They're just, you know, you have crew chiefs like Ron Zobler, like John Medlin who are retiring. Uh, you, you need a generation to come in and replace them, and it it, it almost has to happen from within. You know, you're, you're not going to go poach a NASCAR guy and tell him here to tune my top fuel car. It doesn't work <laughs> that way. Um, so, so, so yeah, for, for sure that you know you, you should be fast tracking some of your smarter, more ambitious guys to, uh, to to assume the lead role at some point. And Tony, you know, you've obviously you know your brother better than anybody else around here because you've you've known him your whole life uh, in good times and in bad. And I'm not sure I've ever seen the guy as genuinely happy 
as he was on Sunday night for obvious reasons. I mean, even when he when he won the race in Norwalk a year year or so ago, that was like almost a, a joyful relief. But this this performance that his team put on end to end at Pomona seemed to have put him in a in a mental place he's not been able to get to for a long time. Yeah, and you know, I think I think for all of us, and <laughs> including them, it started in the first qualifying session. I mean, when that car ran a three eighty four, yeah. you know, and you you could say you could say it had a ripple like a tsunami effect. And you know, when when you look back on well, what mistakes did Robert make? What mistakes did Hagen make? It might have been from the one the run that Cruz made in that first in that first session because I mean, you can't tell me that some of those tuners then go back and say, wow, this is what we had. I'm not saying they did, but there's likely that that may, that may have been the case. They may have made some changes. Um, and if they didn't, then, well, then uh, maybe the second session did because the way that car ran and performed, but it just goes to show you. And, and this is another classic case of, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have, you know, the most coveted tuners are Jimmy Proc. Right? Who's uh, who else do you want? Um, you, you you want um, you want Dickie Venables, okay? And you don't have that now. Collins, John Collins is very well respected. He had a very nice little setup on Tommy Johnson's car that ran with the competition. Did not got a championship, but that car won some races. But you know, with track prep and some other things changed, and that that combination. And I don't I don't know how it got lost. I mean. He wasn't in the same building as Ron Tolbert. And Ron Tolbert, that was his combination. That was the five-disc setup. Engine didn't rev up a lot. And so things just changed over time. But, you know, you bring Lee Beard in. It just goes to show you sometimes you may not be able to get that one guy that John Ford has because he pays them too much and he's under contract. And you're not going to get him. You can only dream about him. But get two guys. And if you can't get two guys, get three guys for crying out loud that can make one good guy. And I think that's what Cruz did, you know, and give him credit for making those changes. You know, some of these tuners, they just want to want to keep trying the same thing over and over. And when Cruz wants to make a change, oh, oh, we, we've heard about him. He, he It's a revolving door. No, everybody expects results. And, you know, Cruz stepped in uh, diplomatically, uh, you know, rationally, and, and fortunately, you know, John was open to the idea and, you know, Lee Beard came in and between the two of them, is it, is it 50, 50, is it 70, 30, who cares? Who cares about any of that? The end result is what they wanted. That car, think about it. Think about this to set the stage for next year. If he run caps in the fight, caps gave him his best shot Yeah, and they outran him. They outperformed John. They, I'm not going to say they embarrassed everybody because, you know, Robert Height, they, you know, they kind of beat themselves and they really didn't hit their marks. They're going to be there next year. But that car right there right now can rumble with anyone. So it was an amazing weekend. And for a driver, for a team owner, when you go through tough times and personnel and, you know, you, you hear the noise and you really don't live up to the expectations of what you expect or what your sponsors what you think they deserve or what they're deserving of, it gets emotional. And I think that's what we saw from, from Cruz. Uh, you know, it was just like, it's like this, this weight that just been lifted off his shoulders and he was liberated from, you know, knowing whether 
it's working or not. And yes, it works and it works pretty damn good. Last question, Tony, in, in terms of that sponsor relationship, how important is it for snap on to see not only somebody making a move, but to see somebody making a move that has been successful. Does it reaffirm with the sponsor that, okay, not only does this guy have a clue, he not only has the car gotten faster, but he has actually made the correct management moves to make that happen. Yeah, you know what? A lot of people, I, I don't think they realize the the degree of you know having sponsors representing companies, and companies they they see value in a lot of different ways. Um, and it's just like it's just like team owners. When I hired Dickie Venables, um, it, it really you know I, I wanted to win. I expected results. I, I didn't know. I couldn't see the future, but I always thought you know I get my money's worth with this guy. His, with his work, work ethic alone. I mean, this guy's a working machine, and I thought, if I'm just paying him for being here and working, I, I'm getting what I want. And I think companies, to some degree, feel that same way. I think uh, Cruz, I, I don't know about everyone else, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that Caps and even Robert Height, and, and I'm sure there are several others, but these guys are working on Wednesday, they work on Thursday, they go into the market, uh, the, uh, you know, if you, you think about Napa and how many stores they have and how many promotions that Ron Caps is involved with, well, Snap-On's the same way. All these franchisees, you can find crews on a truck. So he's building, he's developing these relationships with the franchisees, with their customers, and those customers are key. And you can see a couple hundred of them in and out of the hospitality. So that's where Snap-On sees part of their value. Is it most of their value? I don't know. They expect results. And I think for them, and, and you think about the length of the relationship, that is a long-term relationship. Snap-on is one of the few companies that feel they really need to be in this, this sport in particular. And um, I think any time they can win, it's a reminder that hey, we've partnered with the right guy and we've been with this guy for over 20 years for a reason. I think you see that with a few sponsors, Caps, you know, is is a lot alike, and you know, even the auto clubs. So I think, I think um, it's going to be a good, <laughs> not a good off season for all of them, but but for Cruz and for his team, and and for you know all the folks that snap on. I, I think uh, I think they're going to enjoy it all winter. Kevin, you know, a quick a quick, a quick cruise story, a quick cruise story that kind of reinforces Tony's point. I think it was three years ago, 2019. He didn't make the countdown. Yet here he was. Uh, after Indy, you know, uh, early September, uh, he's out there testing at Indy. And, and, and I, I remember saying to him, you know, what are you doing spending the money to go test when the best you could finish is 11th? And, and he just said, man, I, I got to get better. We, we got to get this car better. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of showed you a little bit about the dedication he had um, to improving. And, and I'm sure that was said with, you know, the, the thought of, you know, I have a lot of people that depend on me and they put a lot of faith in me and, you know, this is what we need to do. And, and, and that's kind of been a hallmark of his career that, you know, if you need to make a change, you, you suck it up and do it. And, uh, I mean, obviously that, that has worked out for the better this time. Kevin, last last topic before we let you guys go. Do you look at Cruz's victory the same way that you look at Austin Proc's victory in terms of, Okay, you know this is this is this closing point that will carry itself forward. Do both of them kind of equate to the same thing? You know, assuming both teams stay together for next year, um, personnel-wise and everything. Yeah, I think when you you know a month from now or so, when we start making predictions as to who might be a, 
your uh, your 2023 champions. I think both of those guys have to be in the mix. Um, you know, and, and, and with, with Cruz, you know, th- that was eight nearly perfect runs, and you don't see that from hardly anybody. Yeah. Uh, cer- cer- certainly not nitro cars. It, it just doesn't happen where, you know, th- there wasn't one run where the thing dropped a hole or, you know, they, they tried to get crazy with it and rotate the earth and it blew the tires off. Um, that, that was, you know, the 380 bracket car. And, and that's, if you can do that other places, that's going to be awful tough to beat. Well, guys, thanks so much for taking the time. I wish you both a very happy Thanksgiving. And, you know, frankly, next week is one of the few, if not the only week of the entire year, maybe outside of Christmas, where um, we all kind of get to take a deep breath and just kind of look around for a bit before we dive right back into this thing. So, Tony, happy Thanksgiving, man. I will uh, we'll be catching back up, the three of us together in, in, Dece- in December to really give this season a, a postmortem, but it's been fun. Yeah, sorry for the distractions. I had to, the gas company was here turning the gas on, so I was I was trying to <laughs> All good. tell them where to go. I mean, it's only going to be 14 degrees, <laughs> I think, on Saturday night. So enjoy it. It's going to, as usual, go by faster than we would all like. So the trick is to enjoy it. Thanks. And I think Tony and I are probably going to uh, celebrate Thanksgiving at some point here in the next week or two with uh, tacos for lunch somewhere. So. <laughs> That's right. Sounds Look good. Look forward to it, Kevin. I'll be uh, I'll be on, I'll be on a large vessel somewhere in the ocean. So I'll be thinking of both of <laughs> you guys. You're a lucky man. <laughs> All right, Happy fellas. Thanks so much. And that is the end of this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening throughout this entire 2022 NHRA Camping World Drag Racing Series Tour. We're going to come back, not next week. We'll take the Thanksgiving week off. We'll be back the week following, kind of recap a bunch of the season, talk to you about a bunch of different things that are going on inside the sport that are exciting. We'll talk about the PRI show, which is just around the corner, and kind of all the news that's fit to print. But it's going to be a nice, relaxing week. We hope next week we'll find out if the newswires give us any good information. But otherwise, I wish you and your families a healthy and fun Thanksgiving. And I can't wait to get back again with the Insider Podcast to finish up this 2022 calendar year and get us cranking on 2023. I'm Brian Loans, and I'll see you again in just a couple weeks.